This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Hey, isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. I am so grateful that the Lord's mercy is all-consuming, that even when we are disobedient, even when we, like Jonah, flee from the Lord, uh, the Lord's loving mercy dives in. He dives in after us to rescue us. So today is the second week in a row that I'm wearing a T-shirt to church. I can't, all the years we've been doing this, son, I, I can't even, no, I just don't wear T-shirts to church, do I? No. But I did last week, and, and I, especially when it's seven degrees outside, right? Okay. But the reason I'm wearing a T-shirt, as you can see, it says on it, what does it say on it? It says, life is mission. Life is mission. And this T-shirt is a reminder that we are a faith community. 
And as a faith community, we are followers of Jesus Christ who are living life together with Christ in the center. And God has a mission for us. We are a part of His pursuit of people in the world. Uh, we share in our own way the calling that Jonah has on his life. That God wants us to live for Christ in the world. And that we encourage one another in our faith. We have a strong community with Christ in the center. But then we move out into the greater community with that good news, with that message. So we're not like Elijah's cow. That God's given us a message, but He has to put the squeeze on us to get it out. Okay? That we should understand and recognize that we have been created by God and we are created for God for His purposes. Now, at Community Covenant Church, we have a mission. And our mission is to bring Christ's hope, His healing, and His wholeness to our community and to our world. Can we say that together? Our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. And all of us are called to be a part of that mission. Now, you might remember last week, Jonah was called by God to go to a place called Nineveh. And you remember Jonah's name means dove. In the Hebrew, his name means dove. And Jonah is being sent as God's dove to give a message of truth to Nineveh, to the Assyrian people. And the message is that their wickedness has been observed by God. God's aware of their wickedness. And that God is going to destroy them. But with that word of God's pending judgment comes an opportunity for peace. Because with that news of judgment, there's an opportunity for repentance. And Jonah, God's dove, is going with the message to the people of Nineveh, letting them know that their actions have consequences and that God is going to punish them. He's going to destroy them. But with that comes an opportunity for them to repent, to turn from their ways, to turn to God. And what we're really going to see in the chapter 1 uh, is, in a, in a small way, what we're going to see through the whole book. We're, we're going to see those who don't know God, who are going to receive God's message through his prophet Jonah, who at this point is on the run, okay? But they're going to turn and they're going to cry out to the Lord and they are going to sacrifice to the Lord and turn to the Lord in faith. And of course, that in a very small way is going to be what we're going to see ultimately with Nineveh. So here's Jonah. He receives the message. Jonah is a prophet in the 8th century. He's a prophet uh, to the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom. And during this time, Jeroboam too is the king. And this is a time of great prosperity. In fact, Jonah got to be the prophet that prophesied to the king that God is going to bless you and he is going to allow you to expand the boundaries of your kingdom north 
back to the time of David and Solomon who came before him. And so if you're a king, that's good news. That's the kind of message you want to hear from the prophet, isn't it? And so this uh, is a 41-year period of time in the 8th century in which the ten tribes uh, of the northern kingdom under Jeroboam II are experiencing great prosperity. God has extended their borders. Things are going well. And as we talked about last week, how do you think the people respond? Worshiping God like never before, following after Him, thanking Him, seeking Him, growing in their faith? Absolutely not. In fact, during this time of great prosperity was a time of great depravity. As God was blessing these people, they were turning away from God. I can't imagine that, can you? Of course you can. Isn't it like us uh, during times of prosperity or during times of blessing to, to maybe turn from the one who blesses us and, and to focus on ourselves? And that's exactly what's going on here in the story. Now, ironically, the good news of prosperity had been delivered to the people there in Israel. Jonah had delivered that message. Things are going well. They are turning their back on God. During this time, God sends Jonah with a message to the people of Nineveh. Now, but the people of Nineveh are renowned. This is during a period of about 150 years when they are the preeminent military power in the Near East. And they are renowned for their brutality. Uh, these are vicious, brutal people. Uh, they pride themselves on mistreatment of their enemies. In fact, they had been a thorn in the flesh of Israel for some time. And, and their city here, Nineveh, which would become the capital of Assyria, okay, uh, it was about a 60-mile circumference. Right? It would be like L.A. County. You had the city, but then it went out for about 60 miles around. Now, the actual inner city was about 8 miles. And in that 8 miles of the inner city, there was a 100-foot wall. And in that 100-foot wall, there were 50 200-foot towers. It was a big, massive place. It was said to go from one end to the other end of Nineveh it would take the average person about three days. You can imagine that. Okay, this is a big place. This is a, a seat of power. These are a prideful people. And God is sending his prophet Jonah to announce to them that his judgment is coming because of their wickedness. Now, the thing that makes Jonah so unique is that Jonah, first of all, is the only prophet that God sends to a foreign nation to give a prophecy. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jonah, or the book of Jonah, really only has a verse, which is actually the prophecy of God to the people of Nineveh about their, their pending destruction. The rest of it is a story about Jonah himself. And so in Jonah, we learn about Jonah, but in Jonah, we really learn about ourselves. Now, you remember last week, we ended in verse 2 
where it said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3 says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found the ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So now your question is, why in the world would Jonah flee from the Lord? Have you ever fled from God? Tarshish is in southern Spain. In other words, when the message came from God to go to Nineveh, Jonah goes down to the seaport of Joppa, which is right in the border of Samaria and Judah. By the way, Joppa is the place where Peter was, where he got the vision that Cornelius was going to come, and that was the beginning, right, of the, the Jewish impulse to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? That happens later on. So he goes to Joppa, and he buys a fare essentially to go as far west as he can go. 2,000 miles, southern Spain, by the Straits of Gibraltar. That's how far he wants to get away, and that's what he does to go to Tarshish. Now, could Jonah flee God's presence? That's the question. Do we know that? You know that, don't you? Of course he can't. Jonah can't flee God's presence. Well, then what's going on? What is he really doing here? Well, he knows something about the Lord. He knows that if he goes to Nineveh and he declares God's judgment, there's a possibility that the Ninevites will do what to him? Kill him. Who are you to pronounce judgment of us? After all, we are the most powerful, preeminent military power in the Near East at this time. Okay? But it's interesting. God's timing is perfect because during this exact time that God is sending Jonah to Nineveh, although they're the preeminent military power, they have experienced uh, a couple of plagues. And not only that, in the midst of the plagues, they, they saw a physical sign. There, there, there had been an eclipse. All right? Now, these are very superstitious people. Uh, they are polytheists. That means they believe in many gods. And, and they're wondering what's going on here. And so they're peaked. They're, they're, they're wanting to know why are these things happening to us. And it's just at this time that God is going to send Jonah to them. But here's Jonah's dilemma. If Jonah goes and the Ninevites don't like his message, then they're, they're going to kill him. But what if he goes, he delivers the message, and he knows the all-consuming, loving mercy of God what if they respond in repentance and God relents and doesn't destroy them? Then he has to go back to Israel and say, guess what? Our arch enemies, you know those people who are a pain in the back that threaten us constantly? You know those people, the Assyrians in Nineveh? Guess what? I went and delivered a message from God and they repented and the Lord is going to spare them. 
So he's kind of caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place, isn't he? And so the first reason that, that maybe he wants to run is because he is afraid. He's fearful. But then the second reason may be that he is just rebellious. After all, this is a time of prosperity. Uh, he was the one to deliver the good news, the message to the king, that God was going to bless them. And, and so now why would he want to, to go and leave during this time of prosperity and deliver this message which could upset the apple cart? Why would he want to do that? Sound familiar? When things are going well in our life, when, when God is blessing us, things are just really smooth, why in the world would we want to be challenged by God to get out of our comfort zone and go somewhere, let alone to a people that we don't have good relationship or no relationship with all, to deliver the message to them that they need the mercy that God has for them because their sin is an offense to God and has separated them from God. And then unless there's repentance, there's judgment. But God offers mercy. Why would we want to go and do that? And the truth is, God calls us to a ministry that at times is not comfortable. At times stretches us, moves us from our place of comfort. But we don't want to go. We, we're like that cow, right? And God has to put the squeeze on us to get the message out, to get us to go. And that's just rebellion. Or sometimes with us, we don't want to follow the Lord because we want to live life our own way. We may know what the Lord wants from us, but we're going to do what we're going to do anyway. And then what's the third reason? Third reason could very possibly be that, that he objects. He's offended by God's justice. God's justice, God's mercy that, that God would offer mercy to those who would repent, if that were to happen, that insults his sense of justice. After all, the Ninevites, if anyone was worthy of God's destruction, it was them. And what do you mean, God? You want me to go deliver a message of judgment? Well, with that comes the opportunity for repentance. I don't want to do that. Those people don't deserve that. Just go and destroy them. Don't warn them. You see that? And God insults his sense of justice. And so he has a moral objection. And there are people inside and outside the church that have a moral objection to the Word of God. Do you know that? They go through the pages of Scripture. They read God's Word on a variety of topics and subjects dealing with our conduct, our behavior, how we should live, how God wants us to live. And they object to it. They don't agree with it. And because they don't agree with it, they decide they want to live their lives apart from God, even though they know this is what God says. Do you see that? And that tension exists today. And so, we want to run. And here's what happens. Jonah couldn't run from God's presence. Look at, look at uh, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Right? If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even in Tarshish, 
right? Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The truth is, it's impossible to escape the presence of the Lord. But what Jonah was doing wasn't escaping God's presence. He was a prophet. He knew better. He wanted to get as far away from the place that he could that reminded him of God and God's Word. He wanted to separate from God's people. He wanted to get away from the place where the temple was. He wanted to get away from anything that would call him to remember God in His Word because he wanted to separate and get as far away from that as he could. Because he wasn't running from God. He was running from God's Word. He was running from God's call on his life. And you know, people in the church do that today. Maybe we're fearful. Maybe we're just living in rebellion against God. We're living in a way that we know we shouldn't. Or maybe we just object morally. We have a moral objection to the morality of God. We don't agree with him on issues or topics of how we're to live. And so what do we do? We get as far away from the church as we can. We stop coming to church. We stop meeting with His people. We don't want to go anywhere or be with anyone that reminds us of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of rebellion. The Holy Spirit convicts us when we're living a life that's morally objectionable to God. And no matter how far we try to run from people and places like the church that remind us of that, we can't escape it, okay? And this is exactly what's going on with Jonah. Now, Jonah boards the ship. And there is a, a great storm that happens. And all of the sailors begin to cry out to their gods. Remember now, these are people who are polytheists, and they are different gods that they worship. And each one is crying out to his own god, which gives you an idea that uh, it might have been a multinational crew, or it might have been a crew of people who, uh, in their area or their region where they lived or were from, they had a focus or a worship on a particular God. And yet, despite their crying out to their God, no matter how much they prayed to their God, the storm increased. In fact, it even intensified. Now, the captain of the ship goes down into the hole, and there is Jonah. And what is Jonah doing? He's sleeping, okay? He's sleeping. And... Uh, the captain wakes him up and says, hey, what in the world are you doing? You need to get up and pray to your God. Maybe he can stop this thing. And so what happens? He comes up. The crew casts lots, which was a way of determining God's will or a message from God in those days. And the lots fell upon Jonah because they want to know who was responsible for all of this. And Jonah makes an acknowledgement. And this is a really important verse to understand in chapter 1, okay? In verse 9, he answers, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Okay? Now, it's really important because 
during this time, oftentimes with people who worship multiple gods, it was the god of the sea, the god of the ocean, who was the most powerful god. And so if these sailors worshipped who they thought, the god of the sea, the god of the ocean, who was the most powerful god, and, and here is Jonah acknowledging, I'm a Hebrew, and my God is a God of heaven and of earth and the sea. He made the whole thing. He is the supreme and only God. Then what are they going to think? Uh-oh, we are in trouble. Because Jonah's God is more powerful than our, our God. Right? Which, by the way, getting back to Nineveh, there are two supreme gods. Uh, one was a, a, a princess goddess named Nashi, and the other was the supreme god, half man, half fish god named Dagon, okay? Kind of people worship gods of water, gods of the ocean. And so they hear this, and they were terrified. They were terrified because they recognized that his god, by the witness of his word, he said, I am a Hebrew. My God is a God of heaven, the God who made the seas and the dry land. My God is a God of creation. He is the most powerful God. He really is the only God. Because they're worshiping false gods. They are terrified. And it says that this, the sea got rougher. Verse 11. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Pick me up, verse 12, and throw me into the sea, he replied, and I will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Okay? So here, think about this. Here is Jonah. He'd rather die than repent. And here are these pagans that worship false God, and what we're going to see is they would rather repent than die. Isn't that interesting, the contrast there? And here is Jonah says, hey, just throw me into the sea. And he's willing to offer himself as a sacrifice. And when they throw him into the sea after much resistance because they don't want to because they're afraid, what if we throw the prophet of God into the sea? But they do it. They cry out to God, God, don't hold this against us. In fact, save us. And he thro they throw him into the sea, and what happens to the sea? It immediately calms down. Now, those scholars who read Jonah, and they look for in Jonah signs of the coming of Jesus, it's called a typology. They say Jonah is a type of Christ, not in his disobedience, but in some of the things that happen, foreshadow what Christ is going to do, what happens? Jesus is sacrificed so that unbelievers will be what? Saved by his sacrifice, right? And so what we see here in Jonah is Jonah says, sacrifice me so that you might be what? Saved. Isn't that interesting? And really what we see in chapter 1 and in the whole book of Jonah is a picture of Israel, commissioned and chosen by God to be his witness, rebelled against his will, miraculously preserved to finally preach his truth that others might be saved. 
because God blessed Israel so they could be a blessing to the nations, right? And this is what we see going on here in the book of Jonah. And so here's the question I want to ask you today. If we are called and sent to live for Christ in the world, by the way, isn't it ironic that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh to, to give God's message of truth to them? He rebels and tries to go as far away as he can, but what ends up happening anyway? He shares his faith, and as a result, these sailors sacrifice to his God and worship his God as the true God. And so even in his rebellion, even in his unwillingness, even in his trying to escape his call, God accomplishes his sovereign plan and purposes, and he's doing exactly what God wants him to do anyway, to share the testimony of who God is with those who don't know him. Isn't that something? That we cannot foil God's plan, even our disobedience. But God wants to save those who are lost, but God wants to help those who have lost their way. And so what we're going to see here is both things happen. Both the sailors and both Jonah are going to be consumed by God's mercy. The storm is all-consuming, but the storm is an act of His mercy to get both of their attentions, to draw them to Himself. The sailors who don't know God come to know God, and Jonah, who knows God, who has lost his way, comes back into relationship with God. Isn't that interesting? We see all this happen in chapter 1. But if we are called and sent to live for Christ in the world, here's the question. Where and to whom is God sending you? Where and to whom is God sending you? Because God is sending all of us somewhere to someone or to some group of people. It could be in your family. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be in your workplace. It could be on the sports field, right? Your service organization. But all of us are sent. You see, we think that God has a church and the church has a mission. But have you ever thought of it this way? God has a mission and the mission has a church. And God is sending His church on that mission. That's each and every one of us. God loves us. And what we're going to see here, moving forward, as we move into chapter 2, begins here in verse 17 of 1. Now, Jonah, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus is going to refer to the story of Jonah. When the religious leaders ask him for a sign, he's going to say to them, we're going to look at this next week. You're not going to get any sign except the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, where was Jesus? In the grave, wasn't he? Okay? 
And of course, he's going to be resurrected just as Jonah is going to come out of that fish, a different person, okay, to complete his mission that God originally sent him on. I want to leave you with this. That's where we started. That we can't run from God. That God's mercy is all-consuming, even to the point where he'll bring storms into our life to get our attention, to draw us back to himself so that we might fully be the people that God intends us to be and fully participate in the mission that he's created us for. You see, the truth is, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, isn't there? That's what makes the story so appealing. But God disciplines, he chastens those whom he loves. He, 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 he makes them uncomfortable for the purpose of correcting, edifying, restoring. But the good news of the Scripture is for those who bear up unto, under that, it produces the fruits of righteousness in our lives. This morning, if you're in that place where you have been running from God, if you're in that place where either because you're afraid, just because you're rebellious, or, or maybe you just disagree with God on some key issues about your life, today is a day to stop running. Today is a day to get right with God so that you can be right on task with the mission he has for you. As the worship team comes forward, I'm going to call your attention to the cross in the back. Now, that's, that's not the belly of a whale, but it is a place you can go and meet God and get right with God. And I'd encourage you at any time during the rest of the service to go back and to pray and to be prayed for and to get right with God and to experience his all-consuming mercy. Amen? Amen. Amen.